Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast, Have You Met Her, where I research women from history and share some of their lives, accomplishments, and contributions with you. I'm Paige, and we started off season two by honoring International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which falls on January 27th every year. Also known as the International Day in Memory of the Victims of the Holocaust, this day was chosen to commemorate the day that the Auschwitz concentration camp was liberated in 1945. The Holocaust resulted in the murder of 6 million Jews and millions of others, including those of other minorities, by the Nazi regime and its collaborators between 1930 and 1945. The horror is unthinkable, but the importance of remembering the victims and survivors of these devastating and hateful attacks is vital. We honor the survivors and the ones who are lost. Remembering, discussing, and learning about the Holocaust is important, not only because it helps us gain a better understanding of the past, but it also raises awareness about contemporary forms of anti-Semitism, xenophobia, and hatred. It illustrates how these can create the preconditions for genocide. In today's episode, I want to introduce you to a young woman who loved writing and wanted to be a writer. Instead, she became a paratrooper and a poet. One of her final poems is titled, Blessed is the Match, and it expresses her spirit of self-sacrifice for the sake of the Jewish people and her willingness to fight to her last breath. Translated from Hebrew, it says, Blessed is the match consumed in kindling flame. Blessed is the flame that burns in the secret fastness of the heart. Blessed is the heart with strength to stop its beating for honor's sake. Blessed is the match consumed in kindling flame. Join me for episode 46. Have you met Hana Sanesh? Hana, Anna, called Aniko by her family and friends, was born in 1921 to a Jewish family in Budapest, Hungary. Her father was a successful journalist, author, and playwright named Bella. Her mother, Catherine, was described as an elegant homemaker. Bella passed away when Hana was about six but his writings continued to support the family comfortably after his death. Hannah followed in her father's footsteps. She loved to write, especially poetry, and she kept a diary through most of her life, some of which has since been published. Hannah went to school at a Protestant private school that allowed Catholic and Jewish students as long as they could afford double or triple the tuition of the Protestant children. Hannah was considered gifted, so her mother was able to afford the school. As Hannah studied and learned, she realized how poorly Jewish people were being treated in Hungary and was called to embrace her heritage and learn more about her Jewish origins. She joined the Maccabea, which was a Hungarian Zionist youth group, and she studied and learned Hebrew. 
Hanna graduated in 1939 and decided to emigrate to Mandatory Palestine in Israel and enroll in the Girls Agricultural School at Nalal. She studied there for two years before joining the Sadat Yom Kibbutz at Caesarea. Her choice to join this intentional community instead of one made up of Hungarian Jews came from her desire to be her own person outside of her late father's famous shadow. She was assigned to work in the kitchen and laundry during her time in this community and wrote down a lot of her hopes, dreams, and ideas in her diary. During this time, she also joined the Haganah, a paramilitary group that was the precursor of the Israel Defense Forces. In 1943, Jewish agency officials reached out to Hannah and asked her to join a secret military project with the ultimate goal to offer aid to European Jews who were being abused and killed. Hannah had wanted to live a quiet, peaceful life. But she knew that she wouldn't be able to enjoy a quiet, peaceful life while knowing how people were suffering and being killed for their beliefs and faith. She volunteered to become a member of the Jewish commando unit within the British Army. Hannah was one of 33 individuals selected to be trained out of 250 candidates. At first, Hannah studied to be a wireless operator Transmitters were used to communicate in code during the war, and Hanna was taught not only to operate them, but also to repair them. Next, Hanna participated in a training course for paratroopers. When she completed the course, she immediately volunteered to parachute into occupied Europe in order to help the Jewish people. It was Hanna's firm belief that acting as a paratrooper, she would need to act without considering her own safety, since even if the group didn't manage to save any Jews, their personal sacrifice would be a symbol that would give strength and faith to the Jewish people of Europe. In March of 1944, just a week before the German occupation of Hungary, Hanna parachuted into Yugoslavia with three fellow members of the group and met up with the Tito Partisans, one of Europe's most effective anti-Axis resistance movements. One of Hanna's fellow troopers, Reuven Daphne, was quoted as saying, Having a woman with us, a female paratrooper, made a huge impression on the Partisans. It was pretty rare, and their parachute wasn't what it is today. So a female paratrooper? The news spread like wildfire. There were, of course, female fighters, but no paratroopers. The Titos knew we were from Israel, knew we were Jewish, and they knew what the Jewish people had suffered. They treated us very well and with respect. For the next leg of their mission, the group would need papers, forged identities. Hannah's papers were not convincing, and the Titos worked on them to make them more convincing. Reuven Daphne was worried still about Hannah and fought with her about whether or not she should continue with them on the mission. He recalled, I wanted to convince Hannah not to go with those papers. I was scared. We had a very heated argument. She was altogether extremely obstinate until she suddenly said, Even if they catch me, the Jews will be notified. 
they will know that at least one person tried to reach them, tried to save them. Hannah lived with Tito's partisans for about three months, trying to find a way to reach Hungary and to get her and her fellow paratroopers' papers ready. The Germans had fully occupied Hungary, and on June 7, 1944, the height of the deportation of Hungarian Jews, Hannah crossed the border into Hungary. Sandor Fleischmann, a man who crossed the border with her, talked about her courage and strength that night. He said, We had to swim across the border. Hannah carried the radio. It was a dark night. She crossed the water five or six times to bring items across, rifles and other things that we didn't want to get wet. I had said that I can't swim across anymore as I would drown. And Hannah exerted tremendous effort. Hannah hid her British Army uniform in the ground and put on civilian clothing. But it didn't matter. The group was caught almost immediately by Hungarian police, and Hannah was in possession of the British military transmitter. The police immediately recognized the transmitter and knew that it could be used to communicate with the SOE and other partisans. They wanted the code for her transmitter so they could find out who the parachutists were and could use the transmitter to trap others. Hannah refused to answer their questions. She was taken to prison, stripped, tied to a chair, and tortured for three days. Several of her teeth were knocked out during the beatings, but the only question Hannah would answer was her name. Hannah was transferred to a Budapest prison where the interrogations and tortures continued. Hannah's mother, Catherine, was still living in Budapest at the time and believed that her children were both safe in Palestine. From the Yad Vashem archives, Catherine shared the following story. I was overjoyed that my children were safe, but fate summoned the suffering of war and my maternal concern. On the morning of June 17, 1944, a man in civilian garb knocked on the door. He was a police detective with a warrant for my arrest. He did not tell me what I was charged with, but I wasn't unduly worried. I knew that they arrested Jews all the time, and I wasn't expecting anything untoward. They interrogated me, initially asking for all my personal details. Afterwards, they asked about the children, specifically about Hannah. The investigator asked me where Hannah was, and smiling, I answered that she was in an agricultural settlement near Hafa. He shook his head and said, She's here, in the next room. The door opened. I was dumbstruck. Hannah was standing in the doorway, held by four men. Her disheveled hair did not conceal the blue contusions above her eyes. She escaped their grip and jumped on me, sobbing, Mother, forgive me. You see, when the police found out that Hannah's mother was within their grasp, they figured that they could use their power to threaten harm to Catherine in order to get Hannah to cooperate. It didn't work. She remained silent. Catherine was sent home, 
only to be arrested again before being sent to the Kistakarsa concentration camp. Hanna still refused to cooperate. Catherine was eventually released from the camp and returned to Budapest. Once free, she spent almost all of her time trying to find, begging for, legal assistance for her daughter. For five months, Hanna was imprisoned, interrogated, and tortured. Since Hanna was a Hungarian national, it was decided that she would be tried for treason. In November, she came up before a tribunal, a military court. Hanna eloquently pleaded her own cause. She expressed her Jewish faith stridently and courageously. She refused to request clemency and she defiantly warned the judges that the war would end soon and their own fates would hang in the balance. The trial was conducted in secret. No one was there to support Hana. She was convicted as a spy and sentenced to death, but the court decided not to carry out her execution right away. Hana's mother was desperately trying to get information on Hana's trial. She would visit the military judge every day to beg him to let her see Hana. He finally told her that it would be another week before her sentence would be handed down, desperate to be free of Catherine's inquiries. On the morning of November 7th, Colonel Simon, who was the officer in charge of her tribunal, came to Hannah's cell. He had taken offense to Hannah's threat of his own fate after the war and presented her with two options. She could beg for a pardon or she could face a firing squad. Hannah refused to beg. She didn't believe that her captors held any authority to try her. She wrote a quick note to her mother and one for her comrades and went to her death at age 23 in a snow-covered Budapest prison courtyard. Hannah refused a blindfold, wanting to face her executors and her fate. Her body was buried in the Jewish graveyard at Budapest. A poem was found in Hannah's cell after her execution. Translated, it says, One, two, three, eight feet long, but death, I feel, is very near. In the month of July, I shall be 23. I played a number in a game. The dice has rolled. I have lost. The next day, unaware that anything had happened, Catherine again went to the military judge's office. His office was usually full of busy people and lots of noise, but this morning it was empty. He looked at Catherine and told her that the sentence had been carried out the previous day. Catherine survived the war and then emigrated to Palestine to join her son, the only other surviving member of her family. She became instrumental in sharing Hannah's story, her bravery, and her faith. Parts of Hannah's diaries were published in Hebrew in 1946, and in 1950, Hannah's remains were collected and brought to Israel and buried in the cemetery on Mount Herzl. 
During the trial of Rudolf Kastner in 1954, he was a Hungarian lawyer and journalist who became a civil servant and was being accused of collaborating with the Nazis in Hungary, knowing about the gas chambers and not warning Hungarian Jews about the dangers. Catherine testified that during the time that Hanna was in prison, Castor and his associates had advised her not to obtain a lawyer for Hanna. She closed her statement with a poignant, I don't say that you could have saved my daughter Hanna, but that you didn't try. It makes it harder for me that nothing was done. In 1993, the Hungarian military Supreme Court made a ruling that cleared Hanna Sinesh's name, repealing her conviction for treason. Hanna has been memorialized by authors, playwrights, and poets who have heard about her courage, determination, and integrity. Her own words have been shared with the world. One of her most celebrated poems is called a walk to Caesarea, but is more commonly known as Eli Eli. Her poem was set to music that was composed by David Sahavi. Versions have been sung by many. The words translated mean, My Lord, my God, I pray that these things never end. The sand in the sea, the rush of the water, the skies glitter, the Prayer of Man. I found a beautiful performance of this poem by one of my favorite artists, Regina Spector, and wanted to close this episode by sharing it with you. Eli, Eli, Shelo Yigamer Leolam, Hachol. והים רשרוש של המים ברק השמיים תפילת של אדם החול והים רשרוש של המים ברק השמיים תפילת של אדם While I was researching women to include on our list for this month's remembrance, I came across a lot of amazing names. Women from tons of different backgrounds and religions who worked together to support the people that needed it most. Every story touched my heart and every story is worth hearing about. When I read Hannah's story, I was particularly touched because of her age and how driven she was to do everything that she could. I loved that she knew that just giving people hope and letting people know that they weren't forgotten was going to be powerful for those who felt like the world had abandoned them. Hannah's story is especially sad because of the end of her life. But I wanted to also celebrate the heroism that I saw in her. 
To research this week's episode, I read the book Ordinary Heroes, Shauna's Signs and the Dream of Zion by Peter Hay, and articles from yadvasham.org and jewishvirtuallibrary.org. I also read from the Sage Journals, The Heroism of Hannah Sinesh by Judith Tider Bamel. If you're on Instagram, please find our page at Have You Met Her Podcast to see some pictures of Hannah Sinesh and all the women that we talk about on our episodes. I know for me, it always helps add a dimension to their stories when I can see their faces. For feedback, ideas, or more information, please email me at haveyoumetherpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow the show page, leave a rating, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends. As always, this episode is researched, written, and edited by me. Please join us next week when we'll kick off celebrating National Girls and Women in Sports Month. Thanks for your support. See you next week. Do, 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 do.